your brain is a really important part of your body. I'm sure no one would disagree with that. And today we are honored to have Dr. Lee Cowden, who is going to help elaborate on some of the, the, the potential issues that can go wrong with it and how you can correct them. So welcome and thank you for joining us today, Dr. Cowden. Oh, thank you. Have me on. It's, yeah, it's great. And uh, interestingly, uh, part of the reason we're talking about the brain today is that in November, uh, there will be a conference with the ACIM, the Academy of Comprehensive Integrative Medicine, which you are the founder. And maybe we can take a little sidestep here and talk about the Academy. But the whole focus of the, the, uh, the meeting this year in Orlando, in the first week of November, will be focusing on brain health. And it is literally it is the best professional conference that I attend. It's, it's, uh, there's only a few hundred professionals there, but it's really high quality and I just, it's just such a great time. So why don't you tell us a little about ACIM and uh, then we'll go into some more, some of the details about the brain and some of the exciting uh, areas that we're going to talk about there. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the Academy of Comprehensive Integrative Medicine was uh, started in 2008 with a vision of trying to educate integrated practitioners around the globe or those that wanted to become integrated practitioners around the globe for, for the most part online without them having to go anywhere because so many practitioners were so busy that they could never uh, take the time to go to all the meetings they needed to go to to learn what they needed to learn. And so we decided to start putting educational courses online. In 2014, we actually started a 300-hour integrative medicine fellowship training program that's now all online and edited and ready for practitioners to stream that off and learn what they want to learn uh, at a distance. And uh, this year, we're focusing on neuroregeneration, as you pointed out, and we have uh, workshops in Dallas uh, every few months to to help the practitioner get the confidence doing hands-on work there. So they do they learn the didactic and then they come to Dallas to learn the hands-on. So we have a hands-on conference uh, April 12th through the 14th, one in July 19th through the 21st, and one September 20th through 22nd. And those are all a, a prelude to our big conference in, in Orlando, November 8th through the 11th. Mm -hmm. And so all, everything we're doing this year is focused on the brain, focused okay. on neuroregeneration. Neuro yeah, I only wish the academy existed when I was in the process of learning about natural medicine. Um, and it would have certainly expedited the process because we had, to, and I'm sure you did the same. We, you know, back then, the, the only other option was to go traps, traipsing around the country at, at these events every weekend or so to uh, learn in better detail because this is information that's not taught in medical schools. And that's by design. I mean, there is a really sophisticated and, uh, clever strategy that uh, by the pharmaceutical company to exclude this type of information from the curriculum because it's a, it's a direct threat to the pharmace pharmacological model of, of using band-aids, expensive band-aids to treat the symptoms. Sure. Yeah, if you use enough uh, uh, treatments to cover up the symptoms, then the patients uh, sometimes will say, okay, I'm okay, and then they go about their usual uh, bad uh, bad habits and bad lifestyle, and and then over time, finally they get to the point where there's no symptom uh, treatment that'll work, and then they then they have to seek integrative medicine. Yeah. With, with integrative medicine, you know, we we try to look at the causation to start with and see if we can resolve the causation of the illness. And once the causation goes away, usually the illness goes away. Yeah, and just one more uh, plug for ACIM too. First of all, the uh, if you're watching this and you have a clinician that you're visiting, a healthcare professional uh, who has any mild interest in this, and I would strongly encourage them to attend and get involved with ACIM. But you don't just have to be a healthcare professional. If you are a um, really interested layperson with, uh, this is one of your passions and you really want to seek information how to get healthy, then, uh, and even apply to your local community, this is, then this is a uh, uh, something you need to seriously consider. And I, I'm reminded of the story you've shared in the past where you had treated a woman, a housewife from South or Central America who had severe back pain, crippling debilitating back pain. You helped her out, fixed it, and was not a problem. She was so impressed that she wound up getting the training at your organization, uh, your academy, and then 
went back to her local community and she, all the physicians there or the vast majority of them were referring the patients they couldn't get better to her and she was getting them better. That's right. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that that's feasible with most uh, lay public that are, that are, you know, reasonably intelligent. They can learn and apply and learn and apply and become basically, you know, wellness coaches is what we call them. And we have a, a core wellness coach program uh, through the academy, 70 hours of training and, you know, people that go through that, uh, I believe, are, are better trained than most other health coaches out there in the community right now. Yeah, and I, I, I'm confident, there's no doubt in my mind, that this uh, allied healthcare system alternative where we have individuals who are not compensated at extraordinarily high levels, uh, like most physicians are, and because of that high compensation and the extensive amount of training that they have to have, uh, they can only afford to spend a few minutes with you. Cannot change the foundational causes of a person's illness in five minutes. It's it's right. physically impossible. You've got to spend some quality time, and that's what these coaches can do. So I think it's an absolutely critical part of the equation to to heal the the really the foundational issues that are contributing to all the chronic degenerative diseases that our population is suffering with. Yeah, yeah I think every uh, integrated practitioner needs to have half a dozen or more. Uh, wellness coaches working with them to hold the hands of the patients until they get well. Someone and, has to. Yeah, yeah, because it's just too much to, for, for a practitioner to try to do. It's impossible. It really is. So having said that, let's give a little uh, taste of what uh, in anyone who is seeking to attend the event in November in Orlando. And so why yeah. don't you start us off with some of the highlights? Uh, so in uh, in November, we're going to be talking about uh, things that can be done to regenerate all types of neurological conditions from all, uh, Alzheimer's dementia to autism, from uh, MS, ALS, uh, Parkinson's disease, uh, uh, fibromyalgia, uh, some, some of the um, other less severe conditions, you know, like uh, the neurological effects of, of fibromyalgia and uh, also the uh, conditions that... Uh, that are even less common, like uh, reflex sympathetic dystrophy and peripheral neuropathy, and so on. And uh, so, uh, we also gonna, are going to focus on what can be done to help people that are given no hope that have chronic uh, psychiatric conditions. You know, like uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, psychoses and neuroses and insomnia and all that other stuff. So, we're going to cover the gamut in uh, in uh, the conference in November. Excellent. So uh, why don't you address some of the strategies that are going to be discussed and, and how effective they've been? Because the neurodegenerative diseases and, and the uh, psychological issues are just pervasive. And uh, almost everyone watching this has had some experience with that or knows someone who has. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the tendency of the American public is to look for a magic bullet, <clears throat> but uh, really for, for neurological diseases, uh, I haven't found a, a magic bullet. There's there's a lot of very important pieces, and I call those the foundational pieces. So, you know, that has to be diet, uh, removing electromagnetic fields from the, from the patient's surroundings to uh, get the patient to doing physical activity as well as brain games and uh, and and uh, there's a lot of other uh, emotional issues that impact on uh, chronic uh, neurological conditions that we need to address as well. And so we'll be, we'll be talking about those kind of things. So, uh, you know, for, for diet, for example, you know, uh, you know the, the, the less inflammatory the diet, the faster the patient's going to get well because the inflammation is, a, is almost always a, a, a contributor to what's going on in the patient's neurological system. And if you can reduce the inflammation, then the patient's going to get better faster. So, you know, the most inflammatory of all foods uh, is probably sugar, followed by some of the omega-6 oils and fats and some of the uh, arachidonic acid-containing products. And so if you can get rid of a lot of that stuff that causes inflammation, then uh, the patient's a whole lot better. For example, eating a ketogenic diet with clean fats and oils and, uh, you know, doing uh, some modified fasting uh, you know, throughout the week and getting rid of the, the infl inflammation creating uh, things, you know, sugars, uh, omega-6 oils, the, uh, you know, the peanuts and uh, peanut products uh, that have high arachidonic acid and so on. And, and the combination of all those things can make a, a, a great start in getting a patient's uh, uh, you know, neurological condition improved. Now, you've seen, well, you're a physician who is sought out by 
those who have seen many other physicians and have been really gotten any, gotten any better. Very similar to Dr. Klinghauer. People see you from all over the world. So, and you've got a lot of it, and you've been doing this for many decades. So, uh, I'm wondering if you could share a few stories of people you've seen with neurodegenerative illnesses and some of the strategies you use to get them better. Yeah, uh, one of the most interesting stories was uh, about that. Uh, 1988 or 89, I had a uh, colleague that said he had a father in a nursing home in Louisiana that, that had advanced Alzheimer's dementia, that he was a full care case. In the morning, when he would wake up, the nurses would have to get him out of bed and dress him and feed him. And he was always pooping in his pants and peeing in his pants and couldn't remember the names of the nurses or the family members or anybody. And, uh, and so he said, can you help him? I said, well, can you bring him? He said, no, I, I can't really bring him to Dallas, but can you give me some ideas of things that would help him? And I said, well, the problem is it's going to take a lot of intervention probably, and getting that to happen in a nursing home is not likely to happen. He said, well, no, I'm pretty sure it will happen because the, the head nurse of the nursing home has a mother just like my dad with severe dementia. And she wants to see if what I try on my dad works so that she can try it on her mom. Mm -hmm. I said, well, that might work. So anyway, I gave him this, uh, this regimen, you know, uh, you know, dietary changes, cleaned up the diet, uh, you know, some supplemental nutrients, proteolytic enzymes, 30 minutes before food, uh, magnesium, vitamin D, uh, three, uh, tocotrienols, tocopherols, uh, you know, lots of supplemental nutrients, uh, but uh, you know, herbs and other things, homeopathics. And, uh, and, and some things to, to get the, the metals out. He said his dad used to have mercury fillings, but he had them removed. But he obviously still had lots of mercury in his body, so we gave him things to, to pull that out, chlorella and some homeopathics and some, some uh, DMSA and so on. So uh, I said, you need to get the, get the dad out of bed and walk him every day. You know, get the nurses to do this and get, him to do, get them to play brain games with him. And, uh, and so... Uh, he called me back about four months later and he said, well, I got to give you an update on death. I said, I never saw the old man. I just talked to the son. Mm -hmm. And he, he called me back and said, well, uh, my dad now every morning gets out of bed, dresses himself, feeds himself, uh, does not poop in his pants anymore, does not pee in his pants anymore, walks around with the nurses and helps them take care of the other patients in the nursing home. And then he sits down and plays cards with the nurses and sometimes wins. <laughs> pretty dramatic shift. Yeah, pretty pretty big shift in just uh, four months' time without without ever seeing. So, but uh, you know, we had lots of other cases like that with dementia. Did you? Uh, did the chief nurse put her mother on the program yeah, regimen? Yeah. And did she, she get better she, too? She did quite a bit. And I never I never talked to her. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty amazing. You know, these are pr a fairly foundational principles and they have dramatic influences on helping catalyze the recovery capacity that we each have and it's just dramatic when you, you see see yeah. those things oh, yeah, yeah the, the first boy that i ever treated with autism was uh was seven years old and still without speech and no socialization skills uh, and uh his dad was uh, was a restaurant owner who had gone back to naturopathic school to try to learn something to help his son because all the allopathic doctors said, there is no hope for your son. He'll never graduate high school. He'll never go to college. He'll never hold a job. He'll never get married. He'll never have children. He'll never, 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 never. And uh, I said I said to Dad, well, you're, you're, I, I really admire you for, for, for doing what you're doing to try to help your son. I want to help you. And so he and I worked together on the son. And uh, so the son graduated high school. He was speaking within within a year or two. He, he graduated high school uh, at 18. He went off to college, played football in college on a scholarship, and, and made bees in college. He finished college and went to learn learn how to become a massage therapist. Uh, he fell in love after that. He got married. Uh, now he has two children, and he's now helping children with autism recover from autism and other uh, uh, adult patients with neurological disease recover from neurological disease. But and that sounds impressive, but yeah. Lee, you are too modest because there's more to the story. <laughs> I've met this individual. His name is Brian, and he is a super fit stud and literally one of the healthiest people that I've ever met. And there is a a very objective test that one can use to measure the 
autonomic nervous system and a variety of other variables. It's called HeartQuest. It's an expensive uh, heart rate variability program developed by some Russian geniuses and put together tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of individuals and correlated the data and comp compiled with some very interesting things. And Brian scored virtually a perfect score. So yeah. from being an autistic child at seven to someone who's, who's one of the healthiest people in the United States is pretty dramatic improvement. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he is a remarkable young man. Uh, and so, you know, af after his dad helped him get to the point where he was able to do a lot of things for himself, he became highly motivated to, to do those things, to eat clean diet, to do physical activity, to, you know, drink enough water, to get enough sleep, you know, all the things. And so he's, he just, he, he lives right. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just yeah. a dramatic example that uh, if you apply these principles, they work. I mean, they're, they're, it's not a, nothing's a hundred percent, but you're going to push you in the right direction until you know. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, you're going to see some improvement. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a there's a, this. Although this event is going to be on the neurodegeneration and and rehabilitation, there 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 are some other dramatic examples of the the effectiveness of these strategies, and oh, yeah. um, and I think. One of them that is most impressive is the organ transplantation. And we have a large number of people on waiting on the list for primarily kidney transplants, but also heart transplants mm -hmm. and liver transplants, you name them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, to me, that's sort of the end stage where conventional medicine has failed miserably. And the only hope that they have is to give them a new organ from someone else, mm -hmm. which if you didn't have to give them the anti-rejection drugs, would probably seem like a good strategy, but the rejection drugs that they have to take, otherwise they, they will reject the organ and or worse, die immediately from infection yeah. and rejection, then they're, they're gonna die prematurely from the drugs. There's just no yeah. way around it. They will radically decrease your life expectancy. That is just the nature of the game. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could share a few of the stories of individuals who saw you, they were on the list for to receive an organ transplant and then you, you suggested some interventions and then share their stories. Yeah, well, one that comes to mind was a uh, physician who was uh, uh, in the hospital in congestive heart failure on the heart transplant list with an ejection fraction of 13%. Now, when, when you get below 15%, they say there is no chance of survival except with a, with a heart transplant. And, and wait, let me interrupt you here, excuse me. But I wanna, many people, this may be the first time you're seeing you and they don't know, who is this guy, Dr. Lee Cotton? Well, aside from being a physician, you were also an interventional cardiologist for many right. years. <laughs> that was your primary specialty right. uh, before you burnt out on it and then realized there has to be another way. So. I mean, yeah. you're, you're speaking with a good deal of professional expertise in this area. Right, yeah. And so, uh, so any, anyway, I, I evaluated this uh, physician, and he had a variety of causations. But uh, it, it, what I found with congestive heart failure cardiomyopathy is that uh, almost 100% of them have uh, uh, emotional brokenheartedness as a, as a primary foundational cause. And so we worked on that, and uh, he had... Uh, as a lot of them do, energetic evidence of a lot of heavy metals in his heart. So we worked on getting the heavy metals out. He had already had his mercury fillings out previously, and gave him, uh, you know, a variety of nutrients, proteolytic enzymes, 30 minutes before food with water only to break up the fiber inside of his body. Gave him magnesium uh, malate. Gave him coenzyme Q10, uh, carnitine or acetylcarnitine, and uh, uh, D-ribose and uh, some some uh, hawthorn berry and a variety of other uh, herbs and nutrients. And in, in three months' time, he was back to work full-time, jogging 10 miles three days a week, uh, and had ejection fraction of 45%. Now, normal ejection fraction is 55 to 70%, but uh, you know, considering this guy was supposed to not be able to survive except with a heart transplant, I think that 45% pretty good and uh you know, last three months time, yeah, three, yeah months. three months and so the last time i heard about him he's still doing uh, the same way he's still still doing you know long work hours and doing great and uh, so this is not a you know a temporary effect this is a long-term effect and was there any other contributing factor aside from the emotional components i mean did he have some uh obvious external uh, contributing factor that contributed to the cardiomyopathy? Or that was just it? No, no, it, it was nutritional deficiencies. You know, the studies show that if you're 50 years old in the United States, mm -hmm. at uh, 50 years of age, you have a 50% chance of being deficient 
in your production of coenzyme Q10 in the body. Mm -hmm. And without CoQ10, you can't make ATP in your cells, and you can't have energy for your cells, including your heart cells. And the heart, because it's such a high-energy demand organ, is the one that's going to play out on coenzyme Q10 production and ATP production first. Mm -hmm. So uh, so anyway, st statistically speaking, he was over 50. He was 55, I think, at that time. So I said, you know, he needs to be on CoQ10, as, as do most of the people in the United States over 50 years of age. Or, or ubiquinol, which is the reduced version of CoQ10. Yeah, Same yeah, molecule. Yeah. And set this yeah, better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, 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 can, I found that I can do either as long as I give enough antioxidants to uh, to re-reduce the uh, uh, the reduce the ubiquinol to ubiquinol. But right. yeah, so so anyway, he he uh, he had uh, this this major broken hardness uh, over the death of a loved one, and uh, and so when we resolved, you know, had him think through that, talk about that, work on that, resolve that, you know, through. Yeah, kind of the principles that uh, Reichenheimer in Germany developed, and uh, and Claude Sabat in France followed after after him. But using that, I call it that talk therapy. We were able to resolve the uh, the emotional broken hardness enough so that he was able to start releasing the heavy metals from his heart and the and the microbes from his heart. And energetically, had yeah, mercury and viruses in his heart. We gave him herbals to get rid of the viruses, but, uh, but the biggest step in getting rid of the microbes was to get rid of the heavy metal. And the biggest step in getting rid of the heavy metal was to get rid of the emotional broken heartiness. Hmm. Yeah, and so you know, so I've had since then had uh, a few dozen other patients with uh, cardiomyopathy with ejection fractions less than less than fifteen percent, who have all except one followed my advice and and gotten completely well and gotten off the heart transplant list and are now still alive and well later years later. Now, occasionally you have a patient, you'll tell them what to do, and they'll just say, I don't believe that, or I'm not going to do that, or whatever. And uh -huh. uh, he, he's, he's six feet under now. But uh, but all the rest of them listened, and, and you know, they're still doing well. Well, I know there was another prominent physician who most everyone listening to this would know who consulted your advice. And, and I think in Instead of he's not six foot under now, he's still alive, as I understand it. But he elected to have the heart transplant, and uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, so so some some doctors that have gone through the conventional training can't unlearn what they learned in conventional training, so they're stuck basically to mm -hmm. to to following that path. Uh, you know, fortunately, when I was in uh, medical school, the first couple of months I was in medical school, I became ill, and. And I followed the advice of the chairman of three different medical school departments, and I continued to remain ill. And thank goodness my wife's grandmother came to visit us, and she uh, took pity on me. She took me down to the health food store and got me on some vitamins, minerals, and herbs, and, uh, and I got well in, in, in a very short period of time. So I, so I learned to, to you know, uh, take with a grain of salt everything I learned in medical training after that. And I uh, also uh, you know, started reading when I had any time to read. Uh, nutrition books and herb books and stuff like that instead of spending all my time reading the medical journals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, literally the grain of salt would probably be useful because most of us are not getting enough <laughs> healthy salt in our diet, which is, you know, we're told uh, mostly by conventional uh, authorities that low salt diet is the way to go and especially of heart disease, but that, that couldn't, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. yeah. But you know, the, 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 uh, Saving organs is, can be done with all kinds of uh, or, organ deficiencies, organ dis dysfunctions. Uh, I remember a, a, a man came from uh, Jerusalem to mm -hmm. see me back uh, maybe 20 years ago, and uh, he had had been on hemodialysis and finally got a kidney transplant, and then he rejected the kidney transplant. Then he got a second kidney transplant, and he's rejected the second, second kidney transplant. Then he got a third kidney transplant, and that's when I saw him. And I said, I think you better change uh, your path because I don't. I, I, you're eventually going to run out of kidneys. <laughs> it's kind of simple. Was he in the United States? Yeah. yeah. Well, he, 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 wow. was, he, he was from Jerusalem, but uh, but he came to the United States for, for evaluation and treatment. So anyway, yeah. he was he was here for two months, and I, uh, and I you know, evaluated and worked on him and you know, detoxified him and got rid of the emotional conflicts and so on and he stopped rejecting his kidney and uh so uh he went back to jerusalem and i talked to him about 10 years later and he was still with that same kidney and still doing well so so do your strategies uh have anything to do with counteracting counteracting the immune challenging side effects of the of the uh, anti-rejection agents 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of times the the, the patient will have uh, an immune reaction against this foreign material, but you can actually with laser, de laser detox uh, reprogram the immune system to to stop doing that. And, uh, and when you do that, then the, the body starts seeing those new organs more like cells. And uh, we also you know, do use the same laser detox process to get rid of autoimmunity type reactions to hormones and neurotransmitters and organs and other stuff. And uh, so it's quite effective. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't sound like something that most people would hear about laser detox. And it's actually quite a simple process. And this is something that you teach in the academy. So it's, as a clinician, you can learn this and apply it to patients. And you too could have patients that you can get off the transplant list. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, we, we have uh, a lot of different tools in our toolbox in integrative medicine. You know, allopathic medicine only has a very few few tools. To, to take well, they've got a lot of drugs, but I guess if you put drugs as a tool, <laughs> they are pretty limited. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you, put, if you lump all the drugs together, then, uh, you know, then it's one, 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 part, <laughs> one part of the toolbox. And they, only, they only have about three more parts of their toolbox that they yeah. can rely on. So that's a, good, that's a good analogy. Thank you for uh, framing it like that. Because it gets yeah. confusing when you have literally thousands and thousands of drugs. Yeah. And, uh, but really, it's only one, one tool. Yeah, yeah, one tool. And uh, you know, integrative medicine, we have uh, literally hundreds, if not thousands, of tools. You know, and uh, even if you lump them together, we have hundreds. You know, if you, if, you, if you're a splitter, then we have thousands. So. Okay, so I think it's time we give people a really good, simple, free strategy that they can use to get healthy like everyone watching this and something you've taught me and i have to warn you because it's free the vast majority of people watching this will not do it because sure. they think it's free it's not going to work why the heck should i do this That's right. so i'm going to have you go over it and it's something i've been doing recently and uh, i notice it it's been enormously beneficial to decrease like my sleep latency so when i do it before i go to bed I go to sleep real quickly. You know, your mind doesn't race and it's just really interesting. So, and it's something you do when, before you go to bed and before every meal. So yep. why don't you review this? And yep. it, does it, what's the name of this technique? I just call it the stress reduction technique. Go, SR, yep. SRT. Stress Re reduction. Really, com really complicated, but, but if you do this with your left hand. And it's important that it's left. This is, you can't do it with your left or right. This has to be the left. Well, you can do it with the right, but it takes a lot longer to work. So okay. that's why we do it with the left. Uh, the, the left side of the body entrains the right side of the body quickly. The right side of the body entrains the left side of the body very slowly. Okay. But if you grab the left index and thumb with the right hand like that, and then you put that down in your lap, and you start breathing deeply in through the nose, hold for one second, breathe out through the mouth, in through the nose, out through the mouth and keep breathing like that as you close your eyes and visualize yourself in the most relaxing place that you've ever been. And when you're visualizing, you're not visualizing just with sight, but with sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell. So you're remembering that place with all of the senses. And you do that for about four minutes or five minutes before every meal. The reason to do it before the meal is it will improve the digestion, improve the absorption, improve the uh, immune function and relax the body. Mm -hmm. If you do this before bedtime, which you should, it'll improve how fast you fall asleep, how deeply you fall asleep, how, how, how much healing of your body you get while you sleep, and your immune function during the night. So for, for very little time and energy effort no, and no cost, you, uh, you get a lot of improvement. People will say, well, why do you, why do you hold the, the index and thumb? On the, on the index finger, on the ring finger side, on the, on the dorsal surface, is the energy pathway for the nervous system. On the palm surface is the energy pathway for the neurotransmitter uh, system. And on the thumb, on the outer aspect, is the pathway for the lymphatic system. Everybody that's chronically stressed has stressed out nervous system, stressed out neurotransmitters, and clogged up lymphatic system. So when you hold with your right hand, you're taking the excess of energy that's usually in these uh, other pathways and dissipating that into the pathways that run on the palm surface of your right hand. And uh, if there's 
areas uh, or pathways that are deficient in energy, then energy comes out of the pathways in your right hand and goes into the pathways in your left hand. So the, the principle is balancing the energy pathways. The Chinese have said for 3,000 years that disease develops whenever energy stagnates. And if you stagnate energy, then you're going to have, uh, you know, all kinds of problems, including uh, maldigestion, insomnia, etc. So, it's yeah. So, so I would strongly encourage everyone to do it, and and to emphasize too, because you briefly went over it. But uh, you know, it's for people who are stressed under autonomic sympathetic overload. And from my experience, and I want you to elaborate on this because you you're in the trenches still, and you see patients all the time, but it's like almost everyone is in sympathetic overload, especially you could objectively confirm this through heart rate variability testing or the heart, health heart quest. I mean, it's like hardly anyone who's not, I mean, they have like maybe a perfect scores on heart rate variability, but if, if you do a deep dive and you check the autonomic balance, they're sympathetic overload. Yes, yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And uh, this, this helps probably more than anything I've found to balance the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic is what causes the fight or flight, uh, you know, f uh, either fight the tiger or, or run from the tiger. And the parasympathetic, which is to balance out the sympathetic, is uh, responsible for digestion, relaxation, uh, sleep, and uh, you know, the, the, the calming parts of our nervous system. And so many people have ex almost excessively almost exclusively sympathetic and almost no parasympathetic function. So I, I want to progress onto this too, because, uh, and share my personal experiences with biohacking sleep. I use the aura ring, O-U-R-A. Uh, by the time this is aired, it'll be generation two. And I like it because it does, it has a near infrared light, so it doesn't interfere with your sleep, but it also can be put into airplane mode. So there's no EMS, which is great. But so it gives me an objective assessment of exactly how good my sleep is. Not only how long I sleep, but when I wake up, you know, if I'm tossing and turning, what my heart rate variability is, my, heart, my lowest heart rate, my deep sleep, my REM sleep, my light sleep, and the amount of time I'm awake. So most people in my experience, as they get over 50 or 60 years old, their deep sleep goes to heck. They just lose their deep sleep. And this is a major challenge if you're interested in staying healthy because in deep sleep, you have uh, restore, you restore and repair your body. And if you're not even deep sleep, you are absolutely compromising your health and exposing yourself to risk in the future. So I was challenged. I was no different. I, my deep sleep was many nights. It was 0, 0.0 minutes. And, you know, so I, my first step was to, you know, and, and I did all the basics, you know, my, there, you couldn't see anything in my, in my bedroom. It is absolutely pitch black. But then I realized I've got to turn off the electricity. So I turn off the electricity and that helped a little bit. I would maybe get it to five or 10 minutes. But then you were at my house a few weeks ago and stayed over because we were both attending a, a local event for tr continued training. You're still a student. I'm still a student. We're, you know, right. We continue to learn. Yep. And um, so we I had a chance to, to um, you know, go into this in further depth. And you really, and this, this um, pairs into, not pairs in, but, but uh, is applied to the neuroregeneration that's happening at the event in Orlando is you know, I didn't think I needed melatonin because I go out on the beach pretty much every day and expose myself to bright sunshine at pitch black at night. So I thought that's all you need to optimize melatonin. And boy, was I seriously confused. And you helped me understand that taking 5-hydroxy tryptophan, not your 5-HT, not tryptophan because it's hard to press the plus the better brain variant. Plus it's already the 5-HT. It's already one metabolic process. But taking it before we go to bed has been enormous because it converts to serotonin and then serotonin goes to melatonin. And I, I, my, my deep sleep now is up to about 30 minutes a night. And I'm, st I'm still in the process of actually put, putting shielding paint in my bedroom because turning off the electricity wasn't enough as, as assessed by measuring body voltage electric and electrical and the microvolts, microvolts. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually doing that this week and hopefully that'll improve it further. But I'd, I'd like you to comment on the 5-HT because it's set, it was 100 milligrams uh, about 20 minutes before bed, but it, it, it has been dramatically impressive in my deep sleep. Yeah. Well, as we as we age, the enzymes that convert uh, tryptophan, which you can find in turkey and uh, uh, pumpkin seeds and things like that, uh, that the tryptophan gets converted to 5-hydroxytryptophan. Uh, and 5-hydroxytryptophan is converted to 5-hydroxytryptamine, which is also called serotonin. 5-hydroxytryptamine finally gets converted into 
uh, melatonin. However, as we age, the, the toxins pile up in those enzymes and pre prevent those enzymes from, uh, from pre performing the work that they need to do. So you have, over, over time, uh, lower and lower levels of 5-HTP and serotonin and melatonin, even though you're doing everything else right. So, so you, have, you have to continually detoxify and also sometimes support those enzyme systems by what we call uh, excessive uh, precursor supply. Uh, so you boost up the building blocks to, to make the final product from. You know, melatonin is not very well absorbed out of the gut. Uh, you know, so some people take melatonin, but uh, uh, some people have kind of a paradoxic response from that. But if they take 5-hydroxytryptophan, they can actually make as much 5-hydroxytryptamine as they need to fairly easily. And then, then, then they have the serotonin to make melatonin. Yeah, and, and most many people are deficient in serotonin. In fact, the most common antidepressants are SSRI, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Yeah. So purportedly, the intention is to increase serotonin in the synapses. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so so serotonin is very important for for mood and uh, and so on. But uh, as you pointed out, if, if you don't have enough, you can't make melatonin. Melatonin is the most important antioxidant nutrient in the brain, and uh, so. You know, it's, it's more important than uh, you know the, the antioxidant nutrients that we swallow by mouth. You know whether that's C or E or any of those others. More important than glutathione. More important than uh, superoxide dismutase because it, it it's the one that it's fat soluble and it, it has best protection of our neurons from from uh, free radical damage. And so we need a, a good a good release of melatonin during the night to to calm our brain and to heal our brain. And you still would integrate that on a basis of what I met, what I was already doing, which is complete blackness at night, yeah. cool room, and you know, like high sixties, low seventies, mm -hmm. and uh, bright yeah. sun exposure outside in the daytime. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, don't 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 neglect the basics, but to, but add this onto the basics. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's been a game changer for me, and I'm really really impressed with it. And dose is 100 milligrams. You just have to be careful. You get the supplement from a good company because there's a lot yeah. of ones out there. And fortunately, you were with me, so we went to store, and you have a, a really interesting energetic test that you perform just to to screen for any toxins in there. So I found a good brand and and, and yeah. using that. I'm very pleased with it. Yeah, and one other thing is that uh, the enzyme that converts 5-HTP uh, to serotonin requires uh, vitamin B6 uh, as a cofactor. So if, if you're taking 5-HTP and not seeing results, then that means you probably need to take some coenzymated B6 sublingually in order to get uh, enough B, uh, the active form of B6 in there to make the conversion from 5-HTP to tryptophan, um, be to, to, to serotonin. PHP, 5-hydroxyl. Yeah, P5P. So P5P, that's it. P5P. Pyridoxal 5-phosphate is the yeah. active form that, okay. that you need. Perfect. And uh, I, I apparently don't need it because it seems to be working really great. So um, one of the other supplements you mentioned with the individual with the congestive heart failure was magnesium malate. And there are literally dozens, dozens of different types of magnesium supplements. And, you know, we... I use uh, magnesium three and eight and actually dr klinghart likes that too because not only is it a magnesium supplement but we found out that a big challenge in many of these neurodegenerative diseases is retroviruses and magnesium three and eight seems to have some retroviral retroviral activity so you can comment on that and i wanted a question about the magnesium malate too hey yeah no i i like the three and eight uh it, it's kind of it's kind of pricey uh, so I, I don't use that as the sole form. And also, uh, threonine is, is a neurotransmitter in addition to being an amino acid. And mm -hmm. uh, so, so we theoretically, we can, we can get overloaded on, on uh, any neurotransmitter uh, and throw other things uh, out of balance. Uh, so that's why I like to alternate between malate and, and threonate and uh, fi uh, the uh, hans Nieper formula, magnesium 2-AEP. And mm -hmm. uh, osteoporotic formula, magnesium orotate. So, so I use a variety of different types of, uh, of magnesium uh, products, and uh, usually a patient will not ever get used to one of those. Yeah, that's a good strategy, you know, because you just don't want to stick to using one magnesium. You want to sw switch it up because your body will be sensitive. So, uh, 
but I, I, I'm particularly fond of magnesium malate uh, because uh, malic acid is a Krebs citric acid cycle intermediate and actually helps generate more ATP. Right. And I, I've been uh, seek, we're, I'm in the process of putting together a comprehensive sleep article discussing some of the things we just reviewed. Uh, but also in the, my review, it, look, it appears that magnesium malate at bedtime seems to be a good strategy to help sleep. And I'm wondering if you can comment on that. It is, yeah. Uh, so, so often uh, the uh, people in, the, in this country are, are deficient in magnesium. The uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture says that 57% of the population of the country are deficient in magnesium. So if they say it's 57%, it's probably at least 87%. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say absolutely right. That's they, the bare butt minimum. Yeah, because they always grossly underestimate nutritional deficiencies. <clears throat> but, uh, uh, you know, the that what you point out is absolutely true. That the that the malic acid is a is a rate limiting step in the uh, Krebs cycle inside the mitochondria that makes the ATP energy for our cells. And so, if we if we uh, are deficient in malic acid inside the cell, and you take a magnesium malate, then the malic acid is drawn into the interior of the mitochondria and it drags the magnesium there also. And the magnesium is absolutely essential in the in the mitochondrial ATP production as well. About 50% of the metabolic enzymes in the body require magnesium as a cofactor. So it's a, it's a really important nutrient, not just for that, but also for uh, you know, conduction of uh, uh, impulses through nerves and you know, con contraction relaxation cycle of muscles, uh, heart muscles, skeletal muscles, smooth muscles, etc. Yeah, there's, there's also some compelling emerging literature that suggests magnesium may be a useful strategy at lowering the side effects or the impacts of exposure to EMFs. Not that that should, uh, magnesium stuff should ever replace your uh, strategy of lowering your EMF exposures, but many of that, if that most of the exposures are going to be unavoidable just because we live in the 21st century. Yep. So uh, it's good from that perspective. And I think if, if that uh, observation and implication is true, then your 87% suggestion probably jumps up to about 99.87% of us being deficient in magnesium. <laughs> because because that would have been in the 20th century, you know, by 20th century standards, when we didn't have as much EMF exposure as we do now. Yeah, yeah. one of the things that I noticed with, mus with uh, muscle, muscle testing is that magnesium is lowest in the people who have the highest EMF exposure. Oh, interesting. That is very interesting. And, and essentially uh, confirms what these uh, the initial research findings are suggesting. Yeah. So what I think is happening is I think that, uh, that, that, that people are wasting magnesium through the kidneys into the toilet because of the stress of the EMF uh, and other effects that, uh, that the EMF has directly on the, on the kidney tubules and other cells in our, in our body. But when the magnesium gets low enough, we know that, that the body becomes depleted in potassium intracellularly. And, it, and intracellular potassium is the main thing that maintains the charge across the cell uh, membrane and what maintains the health of the cell and the uh, conductivity of the cell for neuron conduct, you know, neuronal uh, conduction as well as uh, muscular contractions and so on. So, you know, when you get in low enough shape with magnesium, you're, you're bad shape with potassium and, and you know, or, or yeah, and I think, I think magnesium is the, the, the number two intracellular ion. It is. And then potassium is one and magnesium too. Yeah. So there's, that's yeah. the one-two punch. Yeah. And what, and what happens is that the, the kidney tubules selectively hold on to uh, magnesium when magnesium is deficient and waste potassium through the kidney. Oh, toilet. that's the mechanism. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so, so, so if, you, if you don't have enough magnesium on board, you're also wasting potassium into the toilet. And uh, if you can give a patient, if a patient's deficient in magnesium and potassium, you can give them potassium by mouth until the, until the cows come home and their potassium level won't go up. But once you get their magnesium repleted, then the potassium level will go up. Now that's a pearl. That's a pearl, folks. So, uh, you know, I've been around for a while, so I can recognize them. But I want you to repeat that because, you know, Lee, you're so mild mannered. You say these things, and there's just like wisdom coming out of your mouth, and people just didn't appreciate it. So this is a pearl. Say it again slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if a person's deficient in magnesium and potassium, both, you can give them potassium in large amounts on an ongoing basis, and their potassium levels never come up. But if you give them magnesium and get it repleted, then give them potassium, then their levels come up. And so that's because 
the kidney tubules selectively hold on to magnesium and waste potassium into the toilet in order to retain the magnesium because apparently the body sees the, the magnesium as being a, a more vital uh, nutrient than potassium. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. It's going to help a lot of people. And that's not something that's commonly appreciated. So that's yeah. why I had to repeat it. Yeah. So I, wanted, I really wanted to stick home to people. Yeah. There's one more thing is yeah. that a lot of people in the United States are on some form of diuretic medication, mm -hmm. you know, either for blood pressure or for swelling of their legs or for some other reason. And, and when you take uh, a diuretic, it has a, a, a magnesium and potassium wasting effect on mm -hmm. the kidneys. And so they're wasting both magnesium and potassium into the toilet. But most doctors only give potassium. They don't give the magnesium. Okay, so that's a good piece of information. Now, there are a lot of people watching this. And if they aren't on, don't have it directly, they know someone that they love or they have someone they love that's on the diuretic. So what do you do to treat the underlying cause, which is the high blood pressure or the swelling in the extremities? Because there's lots of different alternatives. And what, were you, what are some of the most successful that, you've, uh, that you know of? Well, yeah, let's talk about swelling of the legs first. Uh, you know, very often, the swelling of the legs is not a diuretic drug deficiency. Mm -hmm. uh, but instead, it's a, uh, a congestion of the lymphatic system or a, uh, a, a toxicity of the kidneys. So the kidneys are not processing water the way they're supposed to, so the tissues retain it. Sometimes it's just uh, severe toxicity in the tissues. You know, one of the ways that the body protects itself from toxic overload is to allow water to go out into the tissues where the toxins are to dilute the toxins. Mm -hmm. so, so if you have enough toxicity in your legs, then you're going to have fluid accumulation there to try to dilute those toxins. And then the lymphatic system can get clogged up for lots of different reasons. The lymphatic system uh, is, is commonly clogged up in people in the United States because people in the United States have a love affair with dairy products and with wheat products, both of which are mucoid-producing and produce thick, sticky mucoid material in the lymphatic system, which clogs up the lymphatic system. But if they'll get rid of the you know the dairy products and the wheat products, then the lymphatic system becomes more fluid and able to, to clear toxins uh, away from the tissues through the lymphatic system. And then you know some people do have such weak hearts that they can't pump blood around like they should, so they get a, a right-sided congestive heart failure. We call it so the right ventricle is malfunctioning. And a very common cause of that is coenzyme Q10 deficiency, which we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And so if you take the CoQ10, get your heart working better. If you have emotional issues, get rid of, get rid of the broken heartedness. If you have heavy metals in your heart, get rid of the heavy metals in your mouth. Mercury, mercury fills in your teeth is the most common cause of that. And then get rid of the mercury in the, in the body, which then helps the, you know, the, the swelling to go away. Now, hypertension is a more complex issue. You know, mm -hmm. the, the other need for, for diuretics. By the, by the way, it's, you know, that's still, from my uh, understanding the the number one recommended drug for treatment yes. of hypertension is is a thiazide diuretic, but that's the first uh, step, stage one treatment. You're right. Yeah, but uh, but we know that the that the thiazide diuretics uh, cause a uh, a chromium wasting into the toilet as well, which then creates an insulin resistance, uh, you know, loss of insulin sensitivity, and the insulin sensitivity raises the blood pressure more. Mm -hmm. So that seems like a pretty oxymoronic way to try to do that. Uh, so we really need to try to find better solutions. Um, most people that have hypertension uh, emotionally feel under pressure to do something or not do something. And so if they can recognize what that is and resolve that emotional conflict, their blood pressure usually goes down quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Dr. Dr. Kaufman, he's a PhD, wrote a book called Malignant Medical Myths. And, mm -hmm. and the chapter on hypertension is is excellent uh, because he talks about how uh, the all the standard for treatment of blood pressure is based on uh, not clear science but based on pharmaceutical rep represent, rep, uh, recommendations. Okay, so so we're we're selling a lot more drugs for hypertension because the pharmaceutical reps will say, well, you know, as eight, at 80 years of age, you should have the same blood pressure as a 20 year old. No, that's not true. Uh, you know, if your if your if your arteries are all supple without any plaque formation, then it may be true. But but you know, there's not very many people in this country that have uh, you know no plaque in their arteries when they're 60, 70, 80 years old. So 
know, if you get the if you if you get the plaque reversed in the arteries, then the, the pipes are no longer stiff, so then you don't have a systolic hypertension, and you don't need the drug because your 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 blood pressure comes down just by getting rid of the plaque in the arteries. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, uh, back in the uh, early early nineties, I uh, was giving patients with advanced atherosclerotic disease proteolytic enzymes 30 minutes before food, uh, you know, clean diet, uh, supplement nutrients, magnesium, vitamin C, vitamin E, etc. And re reversing you know, 80, 90% plaque in the arteries down to 20 and 30% plaque in the arteries in just three or four months. You know, so we, we proved that with uh, ultrasound Doppler duplex imaging. And so if, if we can do that, then why are we doing what we're doing with, uh, you know, open heart surgeries and carotid endarterectomies and all that other stuff. It's because the people are not educated about what's possible. You know, uh, if, if they haven't been told that this could be done by their medical doctor, then they don't believe that it's possible. But unfortunately, there's a lot of things that their medical doctor doesn't know because they weren't taught it in medical school. Yeah, and let's give a little more details on the proteolytic enzymes uh, because it's such an effective strategy, not only for decreasing the atherosclerotic plaque, but also for thinning your blood so you don't have a clot. Right. So, um, you know, you would recommend, and you don't want to take the same one every day because you'll develop resistance to it. And this can be taken for the long term. I mean, your dad, is he still alive, your dad? No, he passed a couple of years ago, but, okay, uh, but, but he, yeah. was on, he was on a blood thinner and you put him on this. And why don't you share that story? And then tell us the details about how you select a proteolytic enzyme because these are non-prescription items. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, his, his doctor had placed him on, on Coumadin. He was, uh, you know, he worked outside. He was always injuring himself and, and bleeding profusely when he did so. And uh, he said, I, I, I don't want to keep doing this. Isn't there another choice? I said, well, you know. You, you have a condition where you probably should be on something to prevent clotting, uh, but, but proteolytic enzymes would be less likely to cause you to bleed profusely if you accidentally injured yourself. He said, well, I want to do that. So he, uh, he started that about uh, when he was about 60, I guess, and he lived to be 80. Mm -hmm. uh, so, he, so he was on proteolytic enzymes 30 minutes before food twice a day for, for 20 years without any more clots, it, without any more uh, of the symptoms for which he was being treated with the uh, sodium warfarin or the Coumadin. And uh, so, you know, it's, you know, since then I've treated uh, several dozen other patients with the same same strategy. I said, I, you know, there's not, as far as I know, there's no peer-reviewed literature proving that this is so, but we have lots of anecdotal evidence. So uh, if you don't, don't want to be on the, you know, on the rat, rat killer, that, you know, which is what is found in a lot of the rat, rat poisons is uh, sodium warfarin, then uh, come off of that and go on your proteolytic enzymes and see how you do. So far, as far as I know, everybody's remained clot-free. Now, the, the, the enzymes that, that I use for that purpose, uh, probably the most effective is uh, lumbar kinase, but it's also the most expensive. Lumbar kinase is uh, made from a, a, a bacteria that lives in the gut of the earthworm. Mm. And uh, the next most effective is natokinase, which is a fermented soy product uh, out of Japan. And the, the third most effective is probably serapeptase, uh, which is made from the bacteria that grows in the, in the, the gut of a silkworm. And, uh, and then after that, probably uh, bromelain, which is uh, from pi pi uh, pineapple stems, and then uh, papaya leaf uh, enzyme that works pretty well as well, another plant-derived uh, enzyme. So a person can be energetically tested for the, several of these enzymes and see which pair is the best pair and just rotate back and forth, you know, even days one, odd days the other, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday one, and Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday the other. And uh, if they if they do enough of those, then usually they'll have no clot formation. Now, uh, it, we're not talking about just big clots being the problem. Uh, little clots are also mm -hmm. a huge problem. So a lot of people get uh, have chronic infection in their body, like dental issues or tonsils or sinuses or someplace else they have infection. And the sinus infection, or the infection, wherever it is in the sinus or elsewhere, is causing the body to produce too much fibrin. And fibrin is a, is a clot-producing agent. And, and so this fibrin can plaster itself up against the capillary walls, restricting the, the delivery of oxygen from the red blood cells through the capillary wall into the tissues. So the red blood cell can go down, all the way down the capillary bed and not deliver any oxygen into the tissues if the fibrin is uh, is just one micron, you know, that, you know 
one 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 mil what is it one millionth of an inch, one millionth of a meter uh, of a meter. meter. Yeah. So so it's just uh, a, a tiny amount of fiber, and so the the, the the enzymes that I talked about a moment ago will strip that fire, that fibrin away and allow delivery of oxygen through the capillary walls and the tissues. So the tissues are no longer starved of oxygen. The tissues can go into aerobic metabolism instead of anaerobic metabolism. And then when you're in aerobic metabolism, you don't stimulate cancer growth, you don't stimulate microbial growth, and so on. So lots of benefits from that. Absolutely. Well, that's that's some really a golden device too that can help a lot of people. There's no question because the, the vast majority of people that you see, I mean, or would you, would you, what would be your guess is the percentage of people uh, over 60 who have atherosclerotic plaque? Oh, uh, probably 95, 98. It's, it's, it's high. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm over, I'm over that age, uh, and I, I had a recent evaluation. I have zero plaque, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you, your sleep is really interesting because uh, when you were at my house, you went, to, you got in late and went to bed late. But you know, you don't require as much sleep, yeah. uh, which you know, I'm, I'm hesitate to point out because there's a large percentage of people who feel they follow in the same category. But it's the really the very rare, and let me emphasize the word rare with strong bolding exception to this case because yeah. and i wouldn't think that you're part of that unless you can objectively document it through, through some type of confirmation but you know you sleep very efficiently so if you're sleeping yeah. efficiently you need less sleep yeah yeah well i, I would urge people that uh, that uh, are not those rare birds to, to to get sleep uh from 9 p.m until they wake up spontaneously without an alarm clock yeah, and that'll be six hours at least. It'll be some some people seven and a half hours, some people nine hours. But what, whatever yeah. they need, that then when they wake up spontaneously, then they can get up. But uh, uh, you know, so many people stay awake from nine p.m. to uh, you know eleven p.m. or even midnight doing stuff that they could do when they wake up early morning before anybody gets up. Yeah, and, and that's a much more efficient way to do it. And yeah, so that, that go ahead. It, it protects their endocrine system. You know, the, the hormonal system detoxifies itself between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. if and only if you're asleep. So if you can get to sleep uh, before 9 and can help to regenerate your, your thyroid, your adrenals, your, your, your uh, gonads, and so on. Yeah, and, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to apply that. And it's not easy. I know most people struggle with that, especially if you have a job, you get home six, seven, eight o'clock at night. How could I possibly go to bed at nine? You know, but it really is if you if you're seeking to biologically optimize your life, that that's the goal. You know, and I think to, to state anything less would be would be delusional. So yeah. not easy to do, but definitely worthwhile. And you know, I have a conflict with my girlfriend who's like a lot of times I'm getting up in the morning at those times and she's just going to bed. <laughs> so it's like, you know, she's, uh, you know, there, there's something to said for chronobiology. Maybe she has a different time frame, but it's still, I think, ideally try to get to bed by night. What I find is that the people that have the hardest time going to bed early at night are came from parents who stayed up all night. Okay, so, so what happened, I think, is that the fetus inside the womb learned the wrong ah. cycle, the, the wrong cycle of rest, and so their, their their parent was always up and active until midnight or beyond, and so the child does the same thing. So if 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 anybody listening is thinking about having kids, start changing your sleep pattern so that you're going to bed by nine, and that way your child, when the child is born, probably will go to bed by nine. So. Uh, this is about all we have time for today, but I'm sure if you watch this to the end that you've been amazed at some of the wisdom Dr. Cowden has to, has to share. And that's one of the reasons why I hang out with him as much as I can and continue to learn. And he's one of my primary mentors in, in helping me understand how the body works and how to repair it with simple, natural, typically inexpensive strategies. So if you have any interest in learning more or having your primary care clinician learn more, then there'll be additional information uh, further down in this article where you can have them attend the ACIM meeting in the second week of November in Orlando. And I think you will, I, I, I don't recall hearing anyone who was disappointed at last year's event. And it was, it really is the high, one of the highlights of the year for me. And it's probably the most, the best professional conference I attend. And I, and I, eagerly anticipate going and I, obviously I'm speaking there and 
and uh, really excited about this event. Yeah, yeah. yeah last, at the end of the conference last year, I had at least two dozen physicians who came up at the end of the conference and said, even though I go to several conferences every, every year, and even though I've done that for many years, this is the best conference I've ever been to. Yeah. And so, so that was quite a uh, compliment. Yeah, and you're going to learn lots of tips like like Dr. Cowden shared with you, and not just from him, but from there, how many speakers this year? Three dozen. Yeah, we we'll have about three dozen speakers. Yeah, so there's a there's a large variety of individuals that you can gain wisdom from that are really going to give you uh, effective strategies that the conventional uh, hogwash is typically disp dispensed by conventional uh, medicine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we hope we see you down there at ACIM in Orlando. Yes, please come.